Who turns the weak into strong? Who turns the poor into rich? And who turns the blind into ones who can see? It's the Lord. And this morning, we want to look at the Lord who is able to work a great reversal in people's lives and in the destiny of his own people. This morning, I invite you to open uh, your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 2. We'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 11. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to grab one of the Bibles provided in the chairs in front of you. You may find this passage on page number 225. Uh, as we open God's Word uh, this morning, we are looking at one of the particular uh, beautiful passages, beautiful prayers or songs uh, that Hannah uh, responded or gave to the Lord uh, after the Lord has changed her condition. So let's read God's Word this morning and consider what uh, and how Hannah responds after the Lord answered her prayer. This is God's Word, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1 to 11. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My whole horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, for those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low. And he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the priest. This is the word of the Lord for our hearts. Would you pray with me? Asking God to bless the preaching of his word and our hearts to hear well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you reveal yourself, your word to us, and you remind us in it of your power, of your strength, and who are those to whom you give it. Father, we pray, would you open our hearts to hear this word and to receive it for our souls. Nourish us, we pray, in the name of Christ, for his glory and honor. Amen. Amen. Hannah's prayer is one of the beautiful poems and beautiful songs of 
of the book of of 1 Samuel, and actually of the entire Old Testament. Hannah begins uh, this song as a way of responding to the Lord on the occasion when she brings Samuel to the temple. She prayed for this boy while she had been barren. She asked of the Lord to give her a son. And she promised that if the Lord would give her a son, that she would devote him, that she would bring him uh, to the Lord and, and leave him at the temple to serve the Lord all the days of his life. We certainly know that this is the occasion on which Hannah prays this song because in verse 11, after Hannah uh, sings or prays the song, we are told that Elkanah went home to Ramah and Samuel was left at the temple ministering uh, there in the presence of Eli the priest. It is this song of, of adoration and praise that Hannah sings to the Lord, prays to the Lord before leaving little toddler Samuel at the temple. And there's no, there's no grief here. There's no emotional uh, song of, of pity this is a song of praise to God that Hannah gives to the Lord uh, as, as she's about to leave Samuel at the temple. So let's consider this song, this prayer that Hannah uh, responds, gives to the Lord in, in, answer, in seeing the Lord answer her prayer. We're going to look at three parts in the song. Uh, Hannah's, Hannah rejoices in the Lord. Hannah warns the proud. And Hannah declares God's final triumph. These are the three major parts of this prayer or song. Hannah rejoices in the Lord. Hannah warns the proud. Hannah declares God's final triumph. Let's look at each of these points as we consider the song of praise. Hannah begins her prayer by telling us that she rejoices in something. What does she rejoice in? Look at verse 1. And I prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord. Other translations say, my heart rejoices in the Lord. So here's, a, here's an easy question for you. What is Hannah rejoicing in? In the Lord. Now, if anyone had reasons, good reasons to Rejoice in something else, in some other things. It was Hannah at this moment. She could, have, she could rejoice in having become a mother. She could rejoice in the young boy, Samuel. She could have rejoiced in the reversal of her circumstances. That she was no longer the trial of barrenness. That she was no longer the object of the, of the irritation and the scolding of Penina. But Hannah's rejoicing went beyond the gifts that God gave her. Hannah rejoices in the Lord. It's not wrong to rejoice in the blessings that God gives us. But we are taking a wrong turn when those blessings become the primary reason for our rejoicing. Instead of rejoicing in the God who is the source of all good gifts. This last week, I was sharing with the men who gathered together on, on the Tuesday morning uh, men's discipleship group. I shared with them a quote that I have printed on my desk. 
It's a quote I've heard from Tom Schreiner, a professor at Southern Seminary. He was speaking to a group of pastors, and he said this, it is important for the pastor to be happy in God. Not merely to be happy, but to be happy in God. Friends, it's easy for pastors to rejoice in the successful ministry that they aspire to have and not really rejoice in the Lord. It is easy, dear friends, for every Christian to, to try to be happy and to find happiness in, in the blessings the Lord gives us. And when things go really well, it is easy to rejoice in the things that are going well and not really rejoice in the Lord who makes our things go well. Friends, rejoice not just in the blessings that God gives us, but rejoice in the God who gives the blessings. And if anyone had reasons, incredible reasons and incredible blessings to be rejoicing in those blessings, it was Hannah. And yet her song starts with, a such, with such a strong note. My heart rejoices in the Lord. Why rejoice in the Lord? There are many reasons in the Bible that we have for uh, helping us rejoice in the Lord. But notice some specific reasons in this passage that give Hannah reasons to rejoice in the Lord. First clue is in verse, 11, in verse 1. Hannah rejoices in the Lord because he gives strength to his humble people. She says in verse 1, My horn is exalted in the Lord. Now, this is a strange phrase. My horn is exalted in the Lord. Hannah's, Hannah's not living in Texas. You know, what, what is her horn talking about? What is the horn referring to? Especially for a woman to say, My horn is exalted in the Lord. It's a little weird. But in ancient times, the phrase or the notion of a horn was often used as a symbol of strength and power. So Hannah's words could literally mean, my strength is lifted up by the Lord or in the Lord. In other words, the one who gives power and strength is the Lord. And Hannah comes to recognize that her power comes not from her ability to give birth, because she had none. She was barren. Her power comes not from her new circumstances of, of being now a mother. She comes to recognize that her strength is lifted up in the Lord. Hannah comes to recognize that any strength she has now is only because the Lord brought it about. And that strength has been lifted up and exalted because of what the Lord has done in her. Friends, Hannah comes to rejoice in the Lord because she comes to recognize that her strength has been lifted up, exalted, elevated by the Lord and in the Lord. So friends, consider who do you look for your strength? Who do you look to for your strength? Where do you look for strength if you look at, for it apart from the Lord? When the Lord gives you strength, do you acknowledge him as the one who lifts up your strength? This past week, I was finally able to complete a very long journey of a graduate degree. And I'm so thankful for so many of you who have 
come and uh, encouraged me and congratulated me and said how proud you are for enabling me to complete the project. But friends, at the end of the day, I've got to say, if there's anyone who deserves any praise for completing this project, it's the Lord who helped me complete it. But there's something I learned through this process about the Lord's strength to help me complete such a long and arduous process. It's that the strength of the Lord often doesn't feel strong in the moment. The strength of the Lord does not mean necessarily that you will feel strong all the time. There are many times in this process that I've experienced when the strength of the Lord looked like not quitting when I really wanted to quit. The strength of the Lord doesn't look always like I, got, I am ready to face anything. The strength of the Lord looked like I really want to quit. I'm ready to quit. The strength of the Lord looked like not quitting when you're ready to give up. So when you consider the strength of the Lord in your heart, in your life, don't just look for those moments when you're, like, you're ready to flex your muscles and show the strength. It's not about that kind of confidence. It often looks more like I'm hanging in there. It's the strength of the Lord who gives me the ability to persevere through seasons of drought, through seasons of, of barrenness in Hannah's case. Oh, friends, consider the Lord is the one who gives strength. Even though at times that strength may not look like you're strong, it may look like you're weak. It is God who is the source of strength. Hannah's rejoicing in the Lord at this point is really a, indeed a, a moment of rejoicing when, when the strength of the Lord has been manifested through indeed, through a great accomplishment. Hannah's rejoicing in the Lord has an important effect on Hannah at this point. The joy of God's salvation is stronger than enemies. Look at verse 1, the second part of verse 1. Hannah says, My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. And the Hebrew word for salvation is the word Yeshua, which also means deliverance or victory. Now in Hannah's case, her salvation, her deliverance, uh, was deliverance from barrenness. When Hannah considers how God brought her deliverance from barrenness, when she sees the victory of God in her life, she, she rejoices in such a way that she is no longer affected by her enemies. She derides her enemies, which is a way of saying her mouth is now wide open. Not with grief, not with mourning, not with bitterness, but with a shout of victory. And that victory is no, not, not her own revenge, but God's salvation in her life. Remember how Hannah, what Hannah's mouth looked like when she was in the temple three or four years earlier, when she was in the presence of Eli praying for a child? Her lips were mildly moving, but no sound was coming from her mouth. Here is the exact opposite. Her mouth is now widely open and she derides her enemies because she now rejoices. She, she has seen God's salvation and she has seen God's deliverance. She sees a God who is able to bring such deliverance and her mouth is now 
open widely. And the effect it has that she, that she is no longer affected by her enemies. And it's not her revenge. It's the salvation and the deliverance and the vindication of God over her enemies. The joy that she has now in God's deliverance is stronger than what her enemies have thrown at her. Friends, there are some of us this morning who are still like Hannah in chapter 1. We're, some of us this morning are still in, in the same category of Hannah in chapter 1 she, when she was praying for God's deliverance. Here Hannah gets to experience it. And this is an encouragement for us. We may not yet experience certain deliverances that we're asking the Lord to give us. But pray with the same confidence and have the joy of, of God's promised deliverance. And that will have an effect on the way you relate to your, quote, enemies. A second clue that we get from Hannah's rejoicing is that Hannah rejoices in the Lord because of who he is. Look at the description Hannah makes of God in verse 2. It's one of the most beautiful descriptions in the book of 1 Samuel. First, she highlights God's holiness. She says in verse 2, There is none holy like the Lord. Do you hear an echo with Exodus 15, 11 that we started the service with this morning? Friends, for Hannah, God's holiness leads her to praise God and to rejoice in God. Yes, God's holiness. I love how one commentator said, Hannah's joy and triumph are firmly rooted in the singular holiness of God. So ask yourself, does the holiness of God lead you to rejoice in God? Friends, we live in a culture, even in an evangelical culture, um, where if you focus too much on the holiness of God, for some people it just leads to boredom or just a frustration. Oh, well, the holiness of God. Let's talk about something more practical. Let's talk about something more immediately relevant for our lives. Let's talk, talk about something that brings us more joy. I talk about the holiness of God. Oh, friends, for Hannah, it's the holiness of God that leads her to rejoice in the Lord. When she thinks about praising God, the first thing she goes to is to praise God's holiness. Knowing and treasuring the holiness of God should move us to rejoicing. Does your soul rejoice in the Lord because of His holiness? Friends, I want to encourage you to meditate on the holiness of God this Christmas season as we think about the unique way in which God showed His holiness, His majesty, to show us such a deliverance in Jesus Christ. Hannah also highlights God's uniqueness. She says, for there's none beside you. Now when Hannah says, for there's none beside you, there's an echo here of the first of the Ten Commandments, in which God commanded His people not to have any other gods besides Him. In other words, God, Hannah is rejoicing in God because He is the only true God. And Hannah recognizes all other pretend gods, all other idols are nothing. She's rejoicing in the Lord because of His uniqueness. There's no other God worthy of worship and adoration. Friends, does that kind of uniqueness of God, being the only true God, lead you and I and us 
to rejoice in the Lord. And also highlights God's dependability. A third dimension about God that, ha- that Hannah highlights is God's dependability. Look at verse 2 again. There's no rock like our God. Hannah experienced firsthand what it means to turn to God as her refuge. And she has found this God to be as strong and as dependable as a rock. Hannah rejoices in God because he is her rock. A rock like no other. And to call God a rock is to see him as the one on whom we can depend. The one in whom we are established. I wonder, friends, what are the things in, in your life and my life to which we run to, go to, to depend on? Whatever those things are, whichever those things are, they are like a rock. We depend on them like, like something to, to build up our lives, our hopes, our dreams on. What are the, those things in your life that are the rock or a rock? Can you speak like Hannah and say, with a, mouth, with a wide mouth, with a big mouth, there is no rock like our God. Or are there other things or people or circumstances in your life that you turn to and use them as your rock? Friends, it's, it's very hard to rejoice in God if you treat other things or people like your rock. We tend to rejoice in those things which we find as a rock in our lives. So it's very hard to rejoice in God if, if, if something else is a rock in your life. So consider if you find yourself struggling with rejoicing in God, is it possible that one reason for that struggle could be that you are depending on some other thing as a rock on which you build your life on? Friends, last week we saw Hannah as a great example of what it means to turn to the Lord in difficulties. When things go hard, today we see Hannah as a great example of what it means to turn to the Lord when things go really, really well. Her rejoicing is not focused merely on the deliverance she received, but on the Lord who gave that deliverance. Have you heard people who sometimes say that they don't, they don't have a hard time turning to the Lord when things are difficult. They have a hard time turning to the Lord when things are going well. Have you heard people say that? Some people are, are more easily inclined to turn to the Lord when things go difficult because the Lord is taking away the, whatever they found as, as their rock, shattering that. So they have an easier time to turn to the Lord. But it's in affluence. It's in prosperity. It's when things are going well that some of us have a hard time turning to the Lord. Because it's so easy to turn our hearts and be so locked in the gifts that God gives us and we forget the giver. Oh, friends, Hannah teaches us what it looks like to draw near to God when things go really well in your life. Hannah shows a pattern. Rejoice not merely in the blessing you receive, but in the God who gives them. Consider His holiness. Consider His uniqueness. Consider His dependability. Then in verse 3, Hannah shifts her focus from rejoicing or expressing her rejoicing in the Lord. She now shifts her focus in the song, in this prayer. 
and moves to a second emphasis. And the second emphasis is warning the proud. Hannah warns the proud. And if we might take a, an opposite point of that, that, the opposite of warning the proud is encouraging humility. Hannah warns the proud. Look at verse 3. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. Now, at first impression, when we read these words, we might think that Hannah is referring here to Panina's and arrogant words, which caused Hannah so much irrita irritation in the past. But in the Hebrew language, uh, the verbs talk no more uh, are in the plural, which means Hannah is warning all those who talk proudly. Now, you may not think of yourself as, as very proud, but are there times when you talk in ways that always seem to put yourself in good light? Or here's another example. When, when someone says a joke, and it's a really good joke, and you try to say a better one so that people will laugh even better at your joke. Or do you speak to others? Do you speak to others assuming that you always know what is the best? Or we see, or you speak assuming that you must have the last word. Friends, arrogant words come from an arrogant heart. And Hannah warns us in this song not to take the path of arrogance. Now, why should the proud put a stop to their arrogance? Consider the reasons that Hannah gives in, in the following verses, verses 3 to 8. Reasons why to put a stop to arrogance. Uh, first of all, because the Lord knows everything and evaluates everything. We see this in verse 3. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. The reason why arrogance is a foolish path is because there is a God who knows everything and evaluates everything. Arrogance and pride will be exposed for what they are. Our arrogance may fly under the radar of other people. We may be very, very um, winsome at being arrogant in ways that people even like us in our arrogance. We may call it confidence. There are different ways in which arrogance goes under the radar of our social interactions. But friends, arrogance will not go under the radar of God. He will detest it. He will see it. He will notice it. Because he knows everything. And if you're able to get away with your pride now, or even be able to attract attention from others through your pride, remember that there's a God in heaven who evaluates our actions. A second reason why Hannah warns the proud and challenges them to stop in the, in the path of their pride is because God will reverse what people experience now. Because God will reverse what people experience now. Hannah gives three examples in this passage of reversals that people experience. And look at verse five, uh, 4 and 5. He says, The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. Why is Hannah bringing these examples of of reversals? Well, Hannah's speaking, first of all, about military might because her song and prayer is ultimately not just about her experience. It's about the experience of the people of God. First and foremost, in the book of 1 Samuel. 
at a national level, we'll see that in this book, proud people depend on themselves rather than on the Lord. They depend on their, on their military might rather than on the Lord. A greatest example of this in the book of 1 Samuel is Saul, who will prefer to rely on his own force and strength rather than wait on the Lord. We know that even when he offers David the armor to face Goliath. He says, you can't go to face Goliath without the armor. A man who really depends on, on military might. And then, of course, we see him uh, trying to, to gain victory over the Philistines by not waiting for Samuel to show up and bring the sacrifice before the Lord. Here's a king who depends, who thinks that if he just do, does it in his own strength, it'll be sufficient. Hannah's speaking about military might. She also speaks about people who are full with food. Now, why is that? She's not talking about our gatherings when we like to be full with food. Uh, why is she talking about food? And people who are full with food. Because in the last ch part of chapter 2, we read that one of the means by which Eli's sons were corrupt was by stealing the choice foods designated for the sacrifices of God and using them to feed themselves instead of honoring God. And God sends a prophet to Eli to deliver God's judgment against his house. And this is one, of, one aspect of the judgment that Eli's household will experience. Verse 36. Look down to verse 36 of chapter 2. The prophet who delivers God's judgment against Eli's household says, And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, Please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. Immediately we realize that the immediate application of Hannah's words in, this, in her song and speaking about the, the, those who are full with food is actually Eli's household and his sons who are corrupting the worship of God. And then there's a third illustration, the barrenness. This one clearly refers to Anna. She's the one who's been barren. And now she speaks about the barren woman ending up with having, with having seven children. Seven children is, is not a prophetic number about how many children Hannah will have. It's more like in the Hebrew language, seven was a picture of completeness. Uh, so here we see a, a barren woman being full with children. And the woman who had many children loses them all. Why are these three illustrations given? Here in this passage where Hannah is warning the proud. Because part of what feeds our pride, dear friends, is that things are going well right now. And we take confidence in that. So well that we feel secure. We feel satisfied. Why not be confident in the things we have going for us? The proud and the arrogant depend on their own strength on their own resourcefulness. Sometimes in our thinking, we have this logic. Why consider God when everything goes so well? Why should I consider God when, when I'm strong? Why should I consider God when I'm satisfied? Why should I consider God when I'm fruitful? Each of these are, are parts of, of the illustrations Hannah put for us. One of the accusations that secular people have against Christians is that they say religion is only for the weak people. Have you heard that said? Religion is only for the, for the weak. But here, Hannah speaks of those who are strong now. 
their self-centered strength and arrogance, Hannah says, will be reversed. So why consider following God? Because for those who continue to live apart from God, all the present circumstances and all their current strength will eventually be turned upside down, no matter how safe and secure they are now. God calls a strong, those who feel strong by themselves, to no longer find their confidence in their strength and turn to the Lord who can make them strong with His strength. Otherwise, their own self-centered, self-confident strength will end up in rubbish. Hannah wants us to know that such reversals are not an act of accident, uh, uh, they are not an act of, of uh, accidental events. Hannah, in verses eight, uh, 6 through 8, uh, tells us that the one who brings about such reversals is God himself. In verses 6 through 8, Hannah gives us a few more descriptions of what God does. Um, God not only raises up, uh, but he also brings down. Look at the, look at the contrast of re- not only reversals, but opposites. And behind them both, both opposites, the Lord is the one who works. In verse 6, Hannah says, The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. Notice God here is the God of both actions. This will be particularly important in chapter 2 and 3 in 1 Samuel, where God announces to Eli's house that he, God, will kill Eli's sons. And in chapter 4, when the Israelites go to battle and the Philistines kill the sons of Eli, the one who actually killed them is not merely the Philistines. It's God. God is a God who kills. But he also is a God who is able to bring up, to raise up the dead. What a comfort this is, especially when we grieve the death of our loved ones. The God who brings people down to Sheol or to the grave is a God who will also raise up people. Both of these promises, dear friends, were a key feature in the fulfillment of the life of Jesus. It was Je- Jesus' death was ultimately brought about not because of the Jews, not because of the Romans, but because of God. God determined, God planned to kill Jesus in the place of sinners as a substitute. And three days later, God planned to raise Jesus from the dead. So that all who put their life, their faith and their trust in Jesus, all who repent of their sins and trust in Christ can be given eternal life. It's God is the one who kills. God is the one who brings to life. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, it may be hard to hear that God is a God who, who kills. Friends, had, had, not God, had God not planned to bring Jesus to experience death, on our behalf, there will be no hope for us to experience the life of God. The only reason why God is able to, to bring us to eternal life with Him is because He killed Jesus in the place of all those who would return and trust in Christ. In verse 7, the Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and He exalts. A few years ago, we had a family in our church who uh, told us how God brought their worldly success to ruin. And through that, the Lord opened their eyes to seek Him in a real way. We love to see the Lord bring us prosperity. 
But do we also acknowledge that the Lord is also the one who brings poverty? Both come from His hands. The focus shifts back to the reversal on, on what God is able to accomplish in verse 8. And as says, he, he raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. Consider in this verse the kind of conditions from which the Lord is able to, re, to, to bring up people from the dust and from the ashes. There is no, no more lower thing to experience in human society than dust and ashes. It's one of those things that like, there's, there's nothing you can get out of dust and ashes. And yet, here Hannah says that God is able to take people from the lowest of the lowest experiences. Dust and ashes from those kind of experiences and raise them up and not just put them at a, at a middle class level of living in society. Oh no, here it is living and being seated with princes on their thrones. This is such a reversal. This is such a, an opposite extreme. The truth about God is that He is a God who is able to bring about that kind of change. Why is God able to bring about such reversals? Look at the reason in verse 8. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them He has set the world. The reason why God can take dust and people from the dust and ashes and turn them to sit with princes is because, friends, remember, this world and everything in it was made by the mouth of God. And when God created man, he took of the dust of the earth and created Adam and breathed the life into him. The reason why God can bring such reversal of circumstances and destinies is because God made this world. The doctrine of creation is, an, is another important way for us to consider reflecting on, um, as a medicine on our pride. If we feel proud and arrogant, consider the fact that we are mere created beings, that we have been taken from the dust of the earth. And had God not breathed in us His Holy Spirit to, br to bring in us a breath of life, we would still be dust today. Let that be medicine for our arrogance for our ways of pride. So in verses 3 to 8, Hannah has been warning the proud by telling us that God knows everything and evaluates everything. Then he's she's telling us that God will bring a great reversal to his people. And she's telling us that this world belongs to God. If we think we have reasons to be arrogant, any such reasons would be foolish in light of the evidence that Hannah brings in this passage. But finally, Hannah closes her song and prayer with a, another emphasis, with a third emphasis. And that emphasis is Hannah declares God's final triumph. We see this in verses 9 and 10. Hannah declares God's final triumph. God's final triumph affects his people in significant ways. And Hannah begins saying that God will guard the feet of the faithful ones, but the wicked will be cut off in darkness. This is what she says in verse 9. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. What a great comfort to know that Hannah will, that God will guard the feet of his faithful ones. For those of us who follow God faithfully, we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear. 
God promises to guide our feet so that we may not stumble. The promise of, of, to his faithful ones is contrasted with the destiny of the wicked. The wicked will be cut off in darkness. Uh, consider this contrast. When the Lord guards our feet, our destiny will be the very opposite of, of the darkness of the wicked. Our destiny will be the very opposite of being cut off. Our destiny will always be brought in into fellowship with God into his family, adopted as part of his family, we will not be cut off. Hannah gives us an important explanation or lesson from this contrast between the faithful and the wicked. What is the lesson we're supposed to take from seeing this contrast between the faithful and the wicked? Well, look at the last part of verse 9. The phrase that starts with the word for. By the way, whenever you see the word for in the Bible, most often... It, and if, if you can translate it or replace it with the word because, it means that it's a reason why the previous statement was made. So here, that's what we have. We can just simply say, because not by might shall a man prevail. In other words, the, what Hannah is trying to point out here in the contrast between the faithful and the wicked, that God will guard the feet of his faithful, but the wicked will be cut off in darkness. The point, the lesson, the foundation is, because not by might shall a man prevail. In other words, in order for a man, in order for any of us to win or triumph, we cannot rely on our own strength. God has to guide our feet. And faithfulness to God is a greater asset than human strength. In dealing with God, no amount of human effort or power is sufficient for our prevailing. Being a conqueror will not be based on human strength, but on faithfulness to God. How easy it is for us, even as Christians, to assume that we prevail based on what we do, based on, on the strength or the resources that we have. Even in our sanctification, we can sometimes think that it's all dependent on us, on our strength. Oh, friends, it is not. We're challenged here to remember that the prevailing uh, that God promises to his faithful ones comes as he guides our feet. And that comes not by our might or strength. Friends, this is a complete opposite of how our world operates. In God's system, human power does not lead to winning. Quite the opposite. In God's system, human power eventually breaks down and the mighty become powerless. When we rely on human power or strength, it shows that we operate still with the wrong set of values. Hannah anticipates that those who oppose God will be broken to pieces. Look at verse 10. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. Now, it will only take two chapters to see that the first ones who are broken to pieces in the book of 1 Samuel are not the Philistines, but the Israelites. They're the first ones. The first battle where we see people broken to pieces are, are God's own people because they have rejected the Lord. They have lived in the, in the corruption that we have seen going on throughout the whole book of Judges. And then a few late chapters later when Eli, when, uh, when uh, Samuel um, comes to, to be a, indeed the, the, the judge of, his, of the people of God, 
and, and, and Samuel calls the people of God to turn away from their idols and to depend on the Lord, in chapter 7 we see the first battle that the Israelites are winning against the Philistines. And we are told in that battle that God fought against them thundering from heaven. Hannah's prayer is like an outline of what's happening in the book of 1 Samuel. But Hannah speaking beyond the book of 1 Samuel. Here we see a severe warning to all those who choose to oppose God. Hannah's song warns any of us against the temptation to act in ways that oppose God. Friends, ask yourself, are there any ways in your life in which you know are contrary to God's ways? Don't be an adversary of God. Be warned that acting against God, being his adversary, leads to destruction sooner or later, as we will see in the book of Samuel. Hannah also builds up the focus on God's triumph by declaring God's future universal judgment of the whole earth. Look at verse 10b. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. The book of Revelation is based on this verse. So much of the book of Revelation, as we have seen it, is that God is going to bring every, every human action to judgment. Oh, friends, whatever we encounter now in our lives, be assured that God will bring it all to the judgment seat. There will be no part of this earth that will escape God's judgment. God's triumph will be seen through his judgment. And finally, God, uh, Hannah closes her song on a note with which she started. It declares through it the, the triumph of God. And she started on the note of strength and triumph in the picture of the horn. You remember? That was verse 1. And Hannah here closes on the same note. She says in verse 10, He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of of his anointed. A song that started with a horn of Hannah closes with a horn of God's anointed. Who will have God's strength? Who will accomplish God's triumph? It's not merely Hannah. It's God's king. The anointed one. In the Hebrew, uh, the Messiah. The anointed one is the word the Messiah. The strength of God will be carried out through a ruler, through an anointed one. And that anointed one will be mildly fulfilled in King David, but very mildly. Because as we see in the, in the rest of the book of 2 Samuel, David himself falls short of the strength of God, of the anointing of God through, through his own sin. The one to whom Hannah points to in this passage <coughs> is not King David. But Christ, it is through Christ that God's strength, that God's triumph will be manifested. When Jesus began walking on the earth, he began doing miracles. Do you think it was just to get people's attentions? Just as a means of getting the crowd to, to follow Jesus? Jesus was not interested in getting crowds following him. When crowds followed him, he looked around and said, if anyone would follow me, he must first deny himself, pick up his cross, and then follow me. He was not just trying to get crowds to follow him. When Jesus was doing the miracles, miracles like feeding the hungry, making the lame walk, making the blind see, and the last miracle he did 
before his own death was to make a dead man come out of the grave. When Jesus was doing these miracles, dear friends, they were demonstrations of the kind of reversal that God entrusted to Jesus to accomplish before his people so they would put their trust in Christ for their salvation. And of course, the strength and power of the Lord were ultimately manifested in the resurrection of Jesus Christ when God took the very one he killed and brought him back to life. Friends, the strength and power of God are ultimately shown in Christ's death and resurrection. If we want to see the power and strength of God in our lives, it will come through and only through the strength that God bestowed upon His Son, Jesus Christ. So seek God's strength by submitting to the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. Because God's power in our lives comes to us as we trust in Jesus and follow Him. The Apostle Paul said and called Jesus this way. He said, Christ, the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.24 So friends, as we consider Hannah's song, she's, all, she's singing and praying not just about her circumstances. She starts there, but she sings and prays a, a prophetic word that ultimately finds fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And we know that because Hannah's song that we have just studied this morning is going to be the outline of Mary's song that she declares to God after she was told that she will have Jesus in her womb. Oh, friends, consider this morning that Hannah rejoices in the Lord. Hannah warns the proud. Hannah declares God's final triumph. May we be a people who seek God's refuge. And when he brings us deliverance and the blessings of this, in this life, that we would respond like Hannah, rejoicing in the Lord, not just in the gifts. That we would respond like Hannah encourages us to respond with humility and put away arrogance and pride and, response, and respond with confidence in his future triumph. That triumph, dear friends, is ours in Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you indeed show us how strong you are. There is indeed no strength like yours. There is no rock like you. You are the one and true only God. There is no other God besides you. Father, may we be a people who find in you our refuge in times of trials and our joy in times of blessings. May you be for us all in all, and may we be a people confident in seeking you with confidence uh, and, and seeking the strength and the deliverance and the grace and the triumph that you give. For you have already shown us evidence of that by giving us Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.